Since this long talk was given around 15 or so years ago, the headlong, lemming-like rush into ecumenism has continued unabated. As a matter of interest, we mention in particular a book in relation to indulgences, The Secret of the Rosary by St. Louis de Montfort. This is not some forgotten medieval manuscript gathering dust on a Vatican bookshelf. Rather, it is a book of accepted doctrine, which was highly recommended in an encyclical on the Most Holy Rosary by Pope John Paul on the 16th of October 2002, after we had made the original recording. One further point before the start of the talk. Two verses which we commend to you for serious consideration as you listen to this talk. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 and 4, Paul speaking, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. I say that this talk will encourage you to consider before starting or joining an Alpha course and continuing down this road and stop identifying with the insidious slide into ecumenism and multi-faith worship so rampant in many churches in these end time days inevitably leading into a one world church and all that entails just let us pray oh God our Father we pray that you will just open up your word to us today and May your word speak to us. May your Holy Spirit guide us. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. And may we learn today the truths of Scripture to understand what pleases your heart. May we be pure and holy. May we not mix the profane with the holy. So help us as we study your word. Help us, O God, in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. First uh, Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Let's go on now to Second Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Chapter 4, 2 Timothy. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts 
shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables but watch thou in all things endure afflictions and do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry and God will bless those words to us look on in Titus Paul writing to Titus in chapter 2 but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine doctrine is important in these last days many Bible based evangelical Christians are extremely concerned by the dangerous drift of countless churches from biblical and Protestant truth into ecumenical confusion and the emphasis in worship today away from the Lord Jesus Christ who should be the center of our praise to the person of the Holy Spirit uh, such unbiblical practices as praying and singing to the Holy Spirit and inviting some spirit into services one of the main reasons for this shift to error is the ecumenically based alpha course which appears to encompass with ease any and all doctrines just for the sake of false unity and in that respect I'll just look at James James chapter 3 and verse 17 James is talking about the wisdom which is from above and he says the wisdom which is from above is first pure then peaceable gentle and so on and that is the problem today the worst thing you can do is to say to somebody their teaching is not in accordance with scripture we have to have unity at all cost but this verse says the wisdom that is from above if we have godly wisdom it first of all must be pure the doctrine must be right our teaching must be right it must be pure and then it is peaceable but the emphasis today is first of all let us have unity let us have peace at all costs and after that we can sort out whether our doctrines are pure and whether they are in accordance with scripture we put we twist things around we twist scriptures around to suit ourselves Alpha accepts and promotes the Roman Catholic Church as just another Christian denomination and this alone should warn evangelical Bible believing Christians to shun it what does 2nd Corinthians 6.15 say and what accord hath Christ with Belial or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel another thing the actual source from which Alpha is spawned gives even more cause for alarm in Britain the Anglican Church's Holy Trinity Brompton is the center of the so-called Toronto blessing the laughing revival imparting of the Holy Spirit word of faith replacement theology name it and claim it kingdom now Pensacola being slain in the spirit and almost every other new fad which comes across the Atlantic they at Holy Trinity Brompton support Wimber's false theology the so-called Kansas City prophets and so on Nicky Gumbel the author of Alpha uh, does not appear to believe in the rapture and invites the Holy Spirit or as I think a demon spirit into his services do you really wish to be aligned or even vaguely associated with such unholy practices and doctrines Paul in writing to the Thessalonians said abstain from all appearance of evil let me just quote some words of Bishop J.C. Ryle that godly Anglican saint how opposite are the words of the bishop here's what he says unity in the abstract is no doubt an excellent thing but unity without truth is useless peace and uniformity are beautiful and valuable but peace without the gospel peace based on common episcopacy and not on common faith 
is a worthless piece, not deserving of the name. When Rome has repealed the decrees of Trent and her additions to the creed, when Rome has recanted her false and unscriptural doctrines, when Rome has formally renounced her idol worship, merely worship and transubstantiation, then, and not till then, will it be time to talk of reunion with her. Till then, there is a gulf between us which cannot honestly be bridged. Cannot honestly be bridged. Till then, I call on all Christians to resist to, to the death this idea of reunion with Rome. Till then, let our watchwords be no peace with Rome, no communion with idolaters. Well, says the admirable Bishop Jewell in his apology, we do not decline concord and peace with men, but we will not continue in a state of war with God that we might have peace with men. If the Pope does indeed desire we should be reconciled to him, he ought first to reconcile himself to God. This witness is true. Well would it be for the Church of England if all her bishops had been like Jewel. The words of that godly man, Bishop Ryan. And here's another quotation from C.H. Spurgeon speaking on the same theme. And here's what he commented. Remember that a church is unchurched, which is not faithful to the truth. The Church of Rome, when she forbade to marry and commanded to abstain from meats, set up also masses in the place of the sacrifice of Christ and her priests in the place of the one great high priest. Then she taught and encouraged idolatry in the worship of images, relics and the like. And by all this she unchurched herself and is now described in scripture not as the bride of Christ but as the harlot of Babylon. She is not the pillar of the truth but the grave of it. She was moved by error. She fell from her uprightness. She lies prone in utter ruin, never to be restored. Alas, any church may thus perish. The apostasy of Rome should be a warning to all other churches, lest they also by little and little become defiled and cease to answer to the, the divine design and are cast away forever. That's what C.H. Spurgeon thought. Despite uh, what liberal or even some evangelical Protestants may like to think, the Church of Rome has never withdrawn any of its dogmas, bulls or beliefs. Staying true to its motto, Semper Idem, always the same. As Pope John said at the opening of Vatican II, the deposit of faith is one thing. The way it is presented is another. For the truths preserved in our sacred doctrine can retain the same substance and meaning under different forms of expression. And this is exactly the point. And yet there are those who promote Alpha say we're all the same. Well did Paul admonish the Galatians. Here's what they, he said. I marvel that ye so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Strong words. And the Galatian church has a lot more going for us than many of the churches which are trying to unite up uh, today in false unity. I read a, an article the other day called The Siren Song of Unity produced by the Biblical Discernment Ministries. They pointed out that in Greek and Roman mythology sirens were women who lured ships onto rocks by enticing the sailors with their singing and today we have many many churches, false churches, false leaders enticing Christians to join together in a false unity and we'll all end up on the rocks of disaster. 
You know, there's a there's a fantastic surge in unity in many areas today. In fact, there's a fever. This article talked about a fever, a unity fever everywhere. And some quotations might be interesting from this song of unity and its melodies which are being played and sung by many. Here's one. Forgiven in 1993 at the Parliament of the World's Religions on September the 4th, 1993, in Chicago, Illinois. We participants in the Parliament of World Religions are persons who have committed ourselves to the precepts and practices of the world's religions. We confirm that there is already a consensus among the religions which can be the basis for a global ethic, a minimal fundamental consensus concerning binding values, irrevocable standards, and fundamental moral attitudes. Another one from the Millennial Movement Initiative, the overall plan, December 1995. The Millennium Council of Faiths is being asked to design suitable rites of passage through which people will die to old 20th century ways of thinking and being and emerge as new 21st century people. Through the Parliament of the World's Religions, the Peace Council and other major interfaith organizations, we are building leadership commitments in Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Baha'i, Jain, Sikh, Wicca, Brahma, Kumari, Shinto, indigenous, and other faith traditions to make the year 2000 a turning point. And the decree on ecumenism proclaimed at St. Peter's by Pope Paul VI on the, November the 21st, 1964. Now we, the Catholic Church leadership, have briefly set out the conditions for ecumenical action and the principles by which it is to be directed, we look with confidence to the future. This sacred council exhorts the faithful to refrain from superficiality and imprudent zeal, which can hinder real progress toward unity. The evangelicals and Catholics together, the Christian mission in the third millennium. Here's one from them. We are evangelical Protestants and Roman Catholics who have been led through prayer, study, and discussion to common convictions about Christian faith and mission. In this statement we address what we have discovered both about our unity and about our differences. And in a book entitled Civil War in the Church, Rick Joyner, who is a false prophet, having predicted things which were to take place and which didn't. In May 1996, he says, In spite of its problems, Christian television has done much to help tear down the barriers between denominations and movements. Catholics now watch Baptists and Presbyterians watch Pentecostals, with everyone learning that there is merit to the beliefs of others. There are many Christian events that draw believers together from across the spectrum of the body of Christ and genuine interchange is taking place. There is probably more unity in the church today than at any time in the last 1,000 years. And the New Agers are also involved. Here's a quotation from an organization called Mark Age, Planet Earth. Love in action for the new age. We are in the prophesied latter days. This is the harvest time, the transition cycle between the ending of the old materialistic age and the new age of Aquarius, now dawning. This 40-year period from 1960 to the year 2000 also is known as the Mark Age, or age of marks and signs when all on earth no, we are entering a new spiritual dimension of love, peace, and brotherhood. There are many others we could give. There is this fever of unity. And you may say, well, surely that is a good thing. That is what we want, unity. But as I have said, unity based on truth, on doctrine, is the only unity 
which we can have. But you may say, well, the Roman Catholic Church has changed. We have always been told that it was difficult to get a picture of what, in fact, the Roman Catholic Church teaches across the world. Well, now we have a new Catholic catechism which was being produced, and that has been endorsed by the Pope. Let me just read what he says in the start of this. This catechism, he says, is offered to every individual who asks us to give an account of the hope that is in us and who wants to know what the Catholic Church believes. And this is by Pope uh, Paul himself. He says, it's there for people to understand what the Catholic Church believes, one of its main objects of it being produced. So let's have a look at some of the items within the Catechism and see if they stand up to biblical doctrine and truth. And one of the first uh, lies that Satan told was right at the beginning of Scripture. Let us go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. We shall be as gods. The Mormons teach. What Benny Hinn and Copeland and those people, they say we are little gods. Let's look at what the Roman Catholic Catechism says. Uh, clause 460. The Word became flesh to make us partakers of the divine nature. For this is why the Word became man, and the Son of God became the Son of Man, so that man, by entering into communion with the Word and thus receiving divine sonship, might become a Son of God. Listen very carefully. For the Son of God became man so that we might become God. The only begotten Son of God, wanting to make us sharers in his divinity, assumed our nature so that he made man might make men gods. Let me read that again. The only begotten Son of God wanting to make us sharers in his divinity, assumed our nature so that he made man might make men gods. And remember what the Pope said in the preface? This catechism is for those who want to know what the Catholic Church believes. Let's go on. Scripture clearly teaches that all the gods of the nations are idols. There's only one true God revealed in the scriptures. God revealed as Father and as the Son and as the Holy Spirit. The Trinity as taught in scripture. Now the Muslims do not believe that Allah has a son. They, they have they, the curse that they say is anyone who accepts Allah having a son. He's an outcast. He is anathema to them. Cursed is anyone who believes in such things. Let's look and see what the Roman Catholic Church teaches in relation to the Muslims. Q. 
clause 841 the church's relationship with the Muslims the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator in the first place among whom are the Muslims these profess to hold the faith of Abraham listen carefully and together with us they adore the one merciful God mankind's judge on the last day here they claim that they are worshipping the same God as the Muslims but the Muslims say that Allah has no son and cursed is anyone who believes such a thing but the Gnostic Pope he says no that's not right we adore the one merciful God mankind's judge on the last day and the Muslims worship the same God as we do who are we to believe the scriptures who say that all the gods of the nations are idols or do we believe the Pope I've had a small booklet recently the secret of the rosary St. Louis de Montfort it has the imprimatur of Thomas Edmundus Malloy STD Arch Epicopus Episcopus Brooklynianus July 1954 this was the 14th printing in February 1975 first I want to read 1st John chapter 1 uh, verse 6 if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness now this little booklet is about the secrets of the rosary and under the heading of indulgences an, an, an indulgence is a means of lessening the satisfaction that we must make for our sins even after they are forgiven it is a grant made to us by the church from the treasury of the superabundant merits of Christ the Blessed Virgin and the Saints it is a remission in whole or in part of the temporal punishment due to sin and is thus known as a plenary or a partial indulgence confession and communion are required to gain a plenary indulgence but it is not necessary to go to the communion <coughs> every time we wish to gain an indulgence weekly communion will suffice the following are some of the indulgences granted to all the faithful and uh, the Catholic Catechism goes on to say that indulgences may be applied to the living or the dead and in 1479 clause 1479 since the faithful departed now being purified are also members of the same communion of saints one way we can help them is to obtain indulgences for them so that the temporal punishments due for their sins may be remitted of course the great thing is no one knows or the sad thing is no one knows when the soul has left purgatory nobody can really say well going back to my little booklet on the secrets of the rosary with the Archbishop in Brooklyn's authority for saying the rosary you can get a partial indulgence five years each time the rosary is said so you get a remission of five years each time the rosary is said two ten years once a day for saying the rosary with others five years each day of a novena in honor of Our Lady of the Rosary and here's the amazing one on beads to which are attached the crozier Dominican and Bridgetine indulgences for for saying the rosary with the crozier 
you get 27,500 days remission. With the Dominican, you only get 5,500 days. And with the Bridgetine, 5,500 days each time the rosary is said. With the crozier, you get 27,500 days remission each time the rosary is said. What does the Bible say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us uh, from all sin. No, the Catholic Church says we have to still go to purgatory and suffer for our sins. And the Pope and the leaders of Alpha say we're all the same. Now just briefly regarding the mother of our Lord, Mary, called the Virgin Mary by the Roman Catholic Church. She was a most wonderful person and she gave birth through the uh, intervention, miraculous intervention of the Holy Ghost in her life. She gave birth to our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Obviously from scripture she had other children. The Bible clearly states that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Mary in the Magnificat said, My spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Saviour. She realised that she needed a Saviour. But no, the Gnostic Pope says, Mary was born without sin. The Immaculate Conception. And I had a book called The Glories of Mary. And it was approved and given the recommendation to the faithful by Nicholas Cardinal Wiseman, Archbishop of Westminster. Let me just read some of the passages in this book. And some of the people who gave authority to these expressions in the glories of Mary are also recorded as authorities in the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. Thus also does Jesus address his mother, says Richard of St. Lawrence. No one comes to me unless my mother first of all draws him by her prayers. And we have access to the Eternal Father, says St. Bernard, only through Jesus Christ so have we access to Jesus Christ only through Mary the whole Trinity O Mary gave thee a name after that of thy son above every other name that in thy name every knee should bow of things in heaven on earth and under the earth the Blessed Virgin herself revealed to St. Bridget that there is not on earth a sinner, however devoid he may be of the love of God, from whom the devil is not obliged immediately to fly if he invokes her holy name with a determination to repent. The following are the principal indulgences which may be gained by those who use beads to which the Bridgetine indulgences have been attached a hundred days indulgence for every Our Father Hail Mary and Creed Mother Most Amiable Richard of St. Lawrence says that Mary was amiable in the eyes of God himself Mary was so beautiful in the eyes of God that he was enamored of her beauty. Now this, 
This has been approved by the Archbishop of Westminster, Cardinal Wiseman, Nicholas Cardinal Wiseman. I'm not making these things up. I, if anybody wants to contact me, I'll give them the, the references. With reason the church sings of the nativity of Mary. Thy birth, O Holy Mother of God, announced joy to the whole world. And as Mary was the beginning of our joy, so she is also its completion. For St. Bernard says that Jesus Christ deposited the whole price of our redemption in the hands of Mary. That every grace which we receive, we may receive it from her. O Mother of God, Thou art my joy and my hope, for Thou deniest Thy graces to no one, and Thou obtainest all that Thou willest from God. And Henry E., Archbishop of Westminster, says, We heartily recommend this translation of the glories of Mary to all the disciples of her divine Son. For though Mary relieves all suffering souls in purgatory, yet she always obtains far greater indulgence and relief for her own clients. By thee, O Mary, was heaven opened, says St. Bernard. By thee was hell emptied. By thee was paradise restored. And through thee, in fine is eternal life given to so many miserable creatures who deserved eternal death. And so on. I, I, I could go on, but really, I, I find it all so utterly anti-scriptural and occultic in its approach. I don't know whether you'll have read The Crossing the Threshold of Hope by John Paul II. But here's what he says. Be not afraid. Christ said to the apostles and to the women after the resurrection. According to the Gospels, these words were not addressed to Mary. Strong in her faith, she had no fear. Mary's participation in the victory of Christ became clear to me above all from the experience of my people. And then he quotes a Cardinal Stefan Wyszynski. He told me that his predecessor, Cardinal August Holland, had spoken these prophetic words as he was dying. The victory, if it will come, will come through Mary. During my pastoral ministry in Poland, I saw for myself how those words were coming true. After my election as Pope, as I became more involved in the problems of the universal church, I came to have a similar conviction. On this universal level, if victory comes, it will be brought by Mary. Christ will conquer through her because he wants the Church's victories now and in the future to be linked to her. And Alpha agrees. I must admit, one of my difficulties is that some of the doctrines in the Roman Catholic Church and in the Anglican Church are so similar as to have very little difference. For instance, regarding the institutions which they call sacraments, but sacraments is not the correct word for these. A sacrament is a pledge, or it was originally an oath taken by a Roman soldier. And uh, these were institutions which our Lord uh, brought into the church and left as memorials for him and uh, commands that he gave. The Roman Catholic Church says uh, it, it confers, in addition to grace, a seal by which the Christian shares in Christ's priesthood and is made a member of the Church. The, the Church of England say, it's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace given unto us, ordained by Christ himself, as a means whereby we receive the same and the pledge to assure us thereof. Now, I obtain grace as a gift from God. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. And the only pledge I have of my salvation is the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Paul in Ephesians talks about the Holy Spirit being a pledge of our salvation, not, not baptism or not the Lord's Supper. And here's what the Roman Catholic Church teach about holy baptism in uh, Clause 1213. The gateway to life in the Spirit 
through baptism we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ. And the Anglicans, of course, say, in my baptism, wherein I was made a member of Christ, a child of God, and an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. And in baptism in the church, a leaflet produced by the General Synod of the Church of England say, baptism has always been a sign of and a way of becoming a Christian. That, that is not right. Uh, Peter, when he was preaching, says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. That's the order. We have to repent first and be baptized. And when Christ gave that command, uh, the Great Commission, as it is called, at the end of Matthew, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Teach them. Teach them. You have to teach them. And then baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then teach them to observe all things. A baby cannot repent. We have to only believe in believers baptism and then the the strange thing is that both these churches the the Anglican and the Roman Catholic Church in the Roman Catholic in 1284 it says in case of necessity any person may baptize and provided he pours water in the candidate's head while saying I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost and the the Anglican Church have a, a, a very similar thing which I if they do not believe that Baptism in some way makes people Christians. I do not see the point in this. It says a child is sometimes baptized in an emergency, usually when there seems to be some danger to its life. In these circumstances, anyone, not necessarily a committed Christian, can perform the baptism by pouring a little water on the child and saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. And that comes from baptism in the church produced by the general synod of the Church of England. Another thing, they both have this absolution. Absolution, those who are truly sorry, the Anglicans say, uh, and made confession before a minister received through him the forgiveness of God. Through him, the minister. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for many. And of course, the main one is the Mass. The same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and is offered in an unbloody sacrifice. What does the, the Bible says? With this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Let's just say that again. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, Paul says, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh I more and what does what does the scripture say about people who hold these doctrines we have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ he hath both the father and the son now for a moment let's look at the doctrine of purgatory and if we look at the Catholic Catechism once again, and uh, clause 1030, 1030. All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation, but after death they undergo purification, so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. 1031. The Church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. The Church formulated her doctrine of faith on purgatory, especially at the councils of Florence and Trent. The tradition of the Church, by reference to certain texts of Scripture, speaks of a cleansing fire. And then on further down at the end of 1032, 
The Church also commands almsgiving, indulgences, and works of penance undertaken on behalf of the dead. I was looking at the sermon that is infallibility of the Church, a course of lectures delivered at the Divinity School of the University of Dublin uh, way back in uh, around 1888 by George Salmon, D.D., the Provost of Trinity College, Dublin. And he comments under the Popes in Purgatory. Talking about Leo Twelfth, he escaped after a few months on account of his eminent piety and the short time he had held the awful responsibility of the pontificate. Uh, Salmon goes on to say, I will not delay to speak of Benedict VIII, but will go on to tell what, as Lovett says, is really frightful, and what one would not dare to believe if he had not as guarantees St. Lutgard, whose prudence and discretion are known, and Cardinal Bellarmine, who, having studied as a theologian all the details of this revelation, declares that he cannot doubt of it and that it makes him tremble for himself. Uh, that great pontiff, Innocent III, who held the Lateran Council, who passed for a saint in the eyes of men and did so much for the reform of the Church, appeared to St. Lutgard, all surrounded by flames. And on her expressing her astonishment, informed her that he had narrowly escaped hell, and that he had been condemned to suffer in purgatory till the end of the world. He earnestly entreated her prayers, whereupon St. Ludgard, with all her nuns, set themselves with all their might to make intercession for his deliverance. But no sign came that their prayers were answered, and for all we know, after five centuries, the poor wretch may still be plunged in those horrible pains from which he begged so earnestly to be delivered. This example, says Bellarmine, fills me with real terror every time I think of it. The Syllabus for the People was published on the 8th of December in 1864 by His Holiness Pius IX and contains propositions condemned by him. And it's worth, it's worth a while studying it. The encyclical which accompanied it commanded all Catholics to hold as unlawful every doctrine condemned by the Holy See. The Pope claimed intellectual obedience to the syllabus, presumably on the grounds of his infallibility. And to my knowledge, the syllabus has never been withdrawn or retracted, and, and that you will find out mostly with with all the, any of the doctrines and dogmas of the Catholic Church. They never, they don't rescind them. They don't change. And here are a few of the errors condemned, so-called errors, with their appropriate numbers and my comments on them. Number 15 was, every man is free to embrace and profess that religion which, guided by the light of reason, he shall consider true. Every man is free to embrace and profess that religion which, guided by the light of reason, he shall consider true. And the Pope of Rome said, no, he isn't free to choose. 18, number 18, says Protestantism is nothing more than another form of the same true Christian religion in which form it is given to please God equally as in the Catholic Church. The Pope of Rome said, no, it isn't a form of the true Church. Number 48, Catholics may approve of a system of educating youth unconnected with the Catholic faith and the power of the Church. The Pope of Rome says, no, they can't. You see, what I'm trying to show is that there are many, many things, doctrines, dogmas, bulls, and other uh, edicts of the Catholic Church, which we accept if we go into this ecumenical alliance with them. They accept the sacred tradition 
and sacred scripture make and that makes up a complete sacred deposit of the word of God which is entrusted to the church they put tradition and scripture alongside each other and we believe that the Bible is the basis of truth sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works through the scriptures they add of course the apocrypha if any man does not accept the old Latin Vulgate edition and deliberately rejects the aforesaid traditions let him be anathema cursed that comes from the canons and degrees of the Council of Trent and works are needed for our salvation they have carried their crosses to make expiation for their own sins and the sins of others they were convinced that they could help their brothers to obtain salvation from God who is the father of mercies Pope Paul IV the fourth said that the first of January 1967 the Vatican Council and I have the, the, two, the volume 1 number 6 section 5 for by grace we say we are saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast for if by grace then it is no more of works otherwise grace is no more grace but if it be of works then it is no more grace otherwise work is no more work Romans 11 verse 6 And then, of course, it's talking about the Mass. These are just a few, just to sum up. The celebration of the Eucharist is the action of Christ himself and the Church. In it, Christ the Lord, by the ministry of the priest, offers himself to God the Father. And that comes from Canon 899, Section 1, page 643 of the Official Code of Canon Law, 1983. And we have what we had before. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand and of God. And Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. He finished the work on the cross of our redemption. It's been paid for. And the, we've, we've looked up the, the doctrine of the Mary Olatry and the adoration of saints. Canon 1186, the Church recommends to the particular and filial veneration of the Christian, faithful, the Blessed Mary, ever virgin, the Mother of God, whom Christ established as the Mother of the human race. It also promotes true and authentic devotion to the other saints, by whose example the Christian faithful are edified, and through whose intercessions they are sustained. In Scripture, the the praying devotion to the dead is called necromancy in Deuteronomy 18 there shall not be found among you any that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire or that useth divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer for all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord and if we pray to the dead and pray to those who have uh, passed on we are an abomination unto the Lord of course the, the only problem here again we have the, the ex-bishop of Truro Michael Ball says because Christ is present in the sacrament and comes to us so does the whole church living and departed for it is his body what a thought we may have trouble with our earthly passports and citizenship at times but we should never have any trouble with our heavenly citizenship for we already have our passport in Christ and are at one with those more closely there so never be afraid to put yourself alongside the dead in prayer going against the word of God of course he also says and when we get to the mother of our Lord all we can do is kneel and beseech our prayers a few general things about what she can teach us both by her example as recorded in scripture and by her continual prayers for us just complete necromancy he, he goes on to say our lady by her prayers and care leads the community inside and outside the church completely against 
the teaching of Scripture. But there you are. That's what we're up against. Not only those outside the so-called uh, Christian church, but those who are supposedly leaders within it. And uh, while we're talking about Bishop Michael in his books, So There We Are, under baptism he states that baptism is a passport to heaven. It's interesting also, he says, the Church of England is not a believer's baptism church, though that may be part of the game with those who are baptized later on, though not the essential bit by any means. Strange theology. Peter had different ideas on the subject. His, his fellow bishop, Richard of St. Germans, writing in the Cornish Churchman in May 1991, commenting on the Christian age slogan we believe in life before death said there should be no conflict whatsoever because for the Christian eternal life life with God begins not after our death but at our baptism eternal life is now we get eternal life life with God it begins at our baptism and so uh, to get back to uh, the idea of, of speaking on this cassette, Alpha and Ecumenism. Let me quote from an article in the March edition of the Evangelical Times. Alpha Courses and Catholicism. Under the subhead, where the Alpha Course is leading, it states, Youth Alpha Manual is much the same as its adult predecessor. Go with the flow. Open your mouth and begin to speak. Try on your own in your bedroom. These manuals promote decisionism and low views of human depravity. They contain minimal teaching on God and his sovereignty, on Christ, the cross, justification, regeneration, faith and repentance. There is a disproportionate emphasis on Satan and seriously flawed teaching on guidance. The article goes on to say that a gracious and sovereign God will save some who join this movement. Nevertheless, thousands will be misled by its manifest distortions of the gospel. Describing what it calls alpha fever, it says, this fe fever will inch its adherents inexorably closer to the Roman Catholic Church. Rome has welcomed the courses and waits with consummate patience to embrace those who wander from the path of Scripture. The true Church should pray for those caused in the delusions of false Christianity, not least for those ensnared by Alpha courses. Again, under Alpha and the Churches, it says, All are welcome to buy Alpha sweatshirts, posters, cookbooks, videotapes, positively these, CDs and car stickers. The potential profits are as large as the theological base is narrow. Before going down the road of ecumenism, examine carefully the doctrines with which you will be allied. Get these books for yourself. Get the, the glories of Mary, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the syllabus for the people and other books. Do you really believe that Christ wants the church's victories now and in the future be, to be through Mary, as the Pope says? Each one of us is answerable to God, not to man. Let us be Bereans. Don't take my word for it. Get out the scriptures and, and as the Bereans did, they, they tested things to see if what they were being told by the apostles was true. And do the same thing. Get out your own Bible. Don't listen to what men say. Don't take my word for it. Go to the scriptures and search the scriptures daily as they did to see if these things be so. And let us therefore be sure that our doctrine never leads a weaker brother into error. However, in addition, we should ensure that the, the company we keep and, and those with whom we are aligned in the public view do not also cause a snare and stumbling block. Matthew 18, verse 6, it says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, 
it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Let us start taking scripture seriously and not pussyfoot around with false alignments and false doctrines. The Bible has a lot to say about sound doctrine and following God's word in great detail. Don't let the siren song of the current unity movement lure you away from biblical Christianity or cause you to make a compromised commitment to the Jesus of the Bible. Instead, stand in true biblical unity, the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints, as Jude said in verse 3. Foremost, we need to adhere to Christ's teachings, live for him and through him, and be willing to even die for him, as martyrs are doing today in many foreign countries like China and the Sudan. Biblical unity will automatically follow those whose love and faith in Jesus are more important than life itself. Then true, sold-out believers will be able to stand for biblical Christianity, do great works and be witness to a fallen world, combined with God's word and our testimony of Jesus and the genuine power of the Holy Spirit. Christ's church will be an unblemished bride occupying this earthly home until the bridegroom comes, when our Lord will come and we will meet him, we'll be caught up to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus.